So the first reading is from the book of 1 Kings, chapter 18. 1 Kings, chapter 18, verses 20 through to 39. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. O Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar that they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought, or busy, or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench round it large enough to hold two sayers of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water, and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it the third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. The Gospel reading is taken from uh, the Gospel according to Luke and the seventh chapter, verses uh, 1 through 10. 
So hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. When Jesus had finished saying all this in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. This is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do praise and thank you that you have spoken by your Holy Spirit through the prophets, and we pray that you would speak to us today uh, as we hear your words again. Amen. I'd like to turn to that story in 1 Kings, um, which is on page 359 uh, and 360. And it's one which is often known as Elijah and the prophets of Baal uh, for, for fairly obvious reasons. And it's the kind of central focus, it seems, of what happens in the story, Elijah's confrontation with them. Um, but actually, as I've been reading through this, I've realized that it should really be called Elijah and the people of Israel. Uh, because the focus of the story, uh, while the central point is, is obviously the confrontation with these false prophets... Uh, the actual focus of the story is on the people of Israel and their transformation from a point at the beginning of, of complete apathy and silence to that final verse, verse 39, where they recognize that the Lord is God and they're committed to him. Uh, and so what I want to do this morning is just look through that, that journey that those people make. Uh, and just for us to be thinking in many ways, it represents a spectrum of responses to God. Uh, and it's a spectrum that we can find ourselves on and that, that we can move between different points on at different points in our lives. Uh, there are times when we, when we drift and there are times when uh, we need to be brought back to a recognition that the Lord is God. Uh, and so as we, as we look at these people, um, maybe this morning we can be just examining our own hearts uh, and thinking, where are we uh, on this spectrum. So we begin um, at verse 
21, the, the people have gathered together, the false prophets are there, the king is there, Elijah is there, uh, the stage is set. And, and Elijah's first action is to go to the people. He, he doesn't talk to the false prophets and say, what are you doing? Why are you leading the people astray? He doesn't go to the king and say, why are you leading the country wrongly? He goes to the people and he says this, how long will you waver between two opinions? And the people, they're not, they've not abandoned the Lord. They've not become atheists, but they're just kind of uncommitted they're wavering between these two opinions. They, they have Baal on the one side who has, who has all the political power. He's got the, uh, the backing of the king and queen of the nation. He's got the numbers, all the prophets of Baal, all 450 of them. Um, he's got all of those things on his side. Uh, and then on the other side, you've got Yahweh, the Lord, the one they've maybe heard about. They know that he's done great things for the nation in the past, but, but things don't look seem to be looking that great at the moment and his prophets are all being killed and all you've got is Elijah and so they're kind of wavering between these two opinions and they can't make up their minds and they're just undecided but it's Elijah's prayer in verse 37 which really shows us why they're in this state because he says he prays to the Lord that he would turn their hearts back to him you see, the people are in this state of being undecided because, because their hearts have already turned away from the Lord. If their hearts were fully with the Lord, then it, it wouldn't matter that the prophets of Baal had all the, the power and the numbers and the, everything else. They're wavering between two opinions because their hearts have turned away. That's stage one. I wonder if any of us have been or, or are at that stage. We, we know things that God has done, and yet sometimes it seems like there's a lot of evidence to show that maybe other things have the power, the influence. Those are the things that really transform our lives, and we waver between which will we fully trust. And the people say nothing to Elijah when he confronts them. They're just not willing to commit. So Elijah moves on and he says, well, okay, let's, let's set up a test. You know, if you're, you're undecided, which of these is God? Well, let's set up a test. Let's find out. The, Lord who, the God who answers by fire, he is God. And, and you see in the way that Elijah phrases the question in verse 24 shows that as much as the people are wavering, in their indecision, they've actually made a decision because he says to the people, then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. You see, in their, in their indecision, in their wavering between two opinions, they've actually, they've actually decided against the Lord. You know, Elijah's the only one who's going to be calling on the name of the Lord. They're going to have to make up their minds, whichever God they're believing in, but, but whoever it is, it's not the Lord. Their indecisiveness has, has led them to make a decision. Because God had said to them, love me with, with all your heart, with all your mind. And their half-heartedness meant that they weren't doing that. 
But even in their indecision, even in their kind of apathy and their kind of wavering between these two opinions, there, there is a sign of hope because at the end of verse 24, they, they actually now talk to Elijah. And what you say is good. They may be undecided, but there's at least a willingness to make a decision. They, they want to know who is God. There is at least that willingness. And that's a good sign. It's a good sign um, in our lives. If, if we're caught in this kind of back and forth about whether God really exists and is he really there and does he really act. An openness to at least being convinced is a good sign. God isn't massively keen on half-heartedness, but he likes it a lot more than hard-heartedness and he can work with it. So they set up the contest uh, and the, the big battle, really, between Elijah and the prophets of Baal takes place. Uh, and the people drop out of the picture, really, in this, in this middle section. Uh, but they're, they're very much there, and they're looking, and they're seeing everything that the prophets of Baal are doing. Uh, and everything that has impressed them, everything that has caused them to doubt whether Yahweh is God or whether Baal is God, everything is there, and it's on show as the prophets do their, do their thing. And you, you see, they have, they have numbers. Elijah says that there are so many of you, you go first. They, they have all the numbers. They have noise, and they have spectacle, and they're dancing around, and they're doing all this impressive stuff. And nothing happens. There's not a word. And, and so the people are watching this, and they're you know, there's this big contest, which one is God? And they're seeing that, that despite all the external stuff that the prophets of Baal are doing, nothing's happening. And then Elijah starts mocking them and saying, well, where is your God? Sure, you know, what's he doing? Is he busy? Did he have, a, you know, did he have something else on today? And he's kind of somewhere else and he, he can't come and help you out. And they get more and more worked up and they get louder and louder and they start slashing themselves and blood's going everywhere and, and still nothing happens. And it's important for the people of Israel to see this because, because suddenly, with all their doubts and all their uncertainty, they suddenly see that, that Baal, this, this God who seems to have dominated their nation, has dominated the king and queen, dominated all the power... It just isn't there. The, the emperor's got no clothes. And they need to see that. It's an important part in their transformation to see that actually all this stuff that they'd been impressed by, power and numbers and spectacle, was actually useless because Baal wasn't there. We can, we can get distracted by those things we can get tempted away by those things still now numbers and noise and if only we had more power and if only we could influence the government if only we had more people if only and and the fact is if God is there that's what makes the difference none of the other stuff matters if God isn't there it's it's useless and the people are beginning to catch on 
So when Elijah next talks to them in verse 30, and he says, come here to me, they came to him. You see, the, the transformation that's taken place, first they, they wouldn't say anything to him, and then they, then they talk to him, and, and now they actually listen to him and, and do what he says, and they, they come to him. Uh, and from being stuck in the middle of, well, we don't want to go with them, but we don't want to go with him, and we're not really sure, now they're, now they're moving towards Elijah. They're, they're willing to be associated with him because they're seeing that actually Baal, despite all the external stuff, there's, there's nothing really there. And then, uh, as Elijah sets up the altar and gets the sacrifice ready, they're willing to get involved. You know, he says, pour water on it, and they, and they do. Uh, they're getting involved in, in the worship. They're getting involved in, uh, in being associated with the Lord. Uh, and even though the king is there, uh, and, and his wife is killing anyone who's associated with Yahweh, and even though all the prophets of Baal are still there, and there's lots and lots of them, that they're willing to get involved and publicly say, actually, we'll, we'll be involved with, with this God. Uh, and that is a, is a significant step. Um, but I think sometimes we can, we can stop there in our lives. I, I know for myself, it's very easy to, to come uh, to church and, and to be involved in worship and to be seen to be involved. Uh, and that's good, but it's... It's not the final step. It's not the full commitment. It's not not the end of the story. Because the prophets of Baal were very involved in their worship. Very involved to the point of slashing themselves and wearing themselves out. Being involved is is good and it's important, but, but something more needs to happen. And Elijah knows that something more needs to happen because this is not about, you know, are you, are you with me or are you with them? This isn't about, well, you know, I'm, I'm feeling kind of lonely and I'd like, a, you know, I'd like people in my group. Elijah's not concerned about that. Now we see his prayer. O Lord, in verse 36, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel. Answer me, O Lord. These people will know that you, O Lord, are God. The final vital thing, in some senses the the only vital thing, verse 38, the fire of the Lord fell. God exists, he listens, he answers prayer, and he acts in the world. That is the key behind everything in this story. That is the thing which distinguishes the people of Israel from everyone else in the Old Testament. Their God exists, and he listens to them, and he acts. It is the only thing which distinguishes the Christian church from the world. It is the thing which distinguishes Christianity from any other religion or non-religion. God exists, and he listens, and he acts. And the people recognize that, and they worship. This, this is the spectrum from complete apathy, wavering, undecided, to 
recognition that there is only one God, that he is the Lord, and he acts, and he answers prayer, and they worship him. Where are we on that spectrum? We, we move between those things. Uh, we're not static. Um, the, the history of Israel after this is not an unbroken, glorious uh, line of commitment to God. You know, they, they, they fall back and they come back and they fall back and they come back. But where are we on this spectrum? And let us pray that we'd be reminded that, that God exists and he hears us and, and he acts. That is what will make a difference in the church. That is what will make a difference in our lives. That, will how, that is how we as a church will make a difference in the world. God exists, he acts, and he hears us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that you you listened to your servant Elijah. That you responded to his prayer, that you turned uh, those people's hearts back to you. Uh, and we pray for, for ourselves, Lord, where we, where we waver, where we're unsure, where we're intimidated um, by other things. Fearful of committing fully to you. Lord, you graciously turn our hearts back to you and remind us that you are the God who hears us and answers and acts. Thank you that you do act. Amen.